Gang, for over a year now, I've been talking about True Hemp Science Full Spectrum CBD oils and how they've reduced my anxiety and helped me get better sleep without waking up feeling foggy and confused. I've also talked about the Full Spectrum CBD bombs that relieved my hand pain last year and made playing piano and guitar much easier. Well, gang, today I'm going to tell you about True Hemp Science organic gummies made with full spectrum hemp oil that are available now. They come in two different gauges. There are five, uh, 50 milligram ones that have 50 milligrams of CBD and 1.5 milligrams of THC. Then there are ones that are 100 milligrams of CBD and 5 milligrams of THC. Absolutely delicious uh, lemon lime slash orange flavors and also watermelon black cherry flavors. Super, super delicious. Now, now, they also have a complete line of full-spectrum CBD products, including oils, tinctures, skincare lotions, sports rubs, chocolates, gummies, all kinds of stuff. Well, gang, How Did I Get Here has teamed up with True Hemp Science to bring you a very special offer that benefits all of us. Spend $100 or more at TrueHempScience.com and you will get a free gift. Just enter the code HDIGH at checkout. There's a little code place there for you to enter it. H-D-I-G-H and you will get a free gift with purchase. That's right. Go to TrueHempScience.com and balance your body and mind with True Hemp Science. Let's get down. Hey gang, I want to make a quick announcement. Since we started this podcast in 2011, only the last 20 episodes have been available on the streaming services. You had to go back to the Podbean app or to the website, howdidigethere.podbean.com to access past the 20 last 20 episodes. Well, gang, big surprise. As of now, the last 100 episodes are available on all streaming sites. That includes the From the Vault episodes. All of the episodes, the last 100 episodes from this episode back are available now on all streaming services, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast. Go there. Whichever one you're subscribed to, whichever one you use the most, go subscribe to How Did I Get Here. Follow us, rate us, leave us a comment if you can. And, uh, and check out the episodes, man. Get out there and enjoy the last 100 episodes of How Did I Get Here on your favorite streaming services. Let's get down. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? It's time for... How did I get here? And now here is your host. Alright, hello, I'm Johnny, I'm your host. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys all had a good weekend, whatever it is you did this weekend. The show's coming out on Monday, so you know what that means if you're a regular listener of the show. When a show comes out on Monday, that means there's three shows this week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Usual schedule is Tuesday and Friday, but this week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That's right, gang. It's been pretty prolific over here at How Did I Get Here headquarters. Been talking to a lot of people, got a lot of shows coming down the pike. So many, we got to release three shows a week sometimes just to get them out. I, uh, I want to welcome any new listeners because today we've got a really big show, a really great show. Uh, MC Taylor from His Golden Messenger is my guest on the show today. They have a brand new record that came out on Friday called Jump for Joy. Gorgeous record, amazing record. Uh, the, it's MC's most autobiographical record. So it, we talk all about it and why it is that way and how it got that way and what he's been through to get to this point. Great conversation via Zoom. But I do want to welcome any new listeners. Uh, hi, I'm Johnny. Johnny Gowdy. I'm a musician here in Austin, Texas. 
And I started this podcast 12 years ago. I've been a musician since, uh, since I was a kid. I've been playing in bands for 40 years, still do it. It's how I make my living, get out there and play music. And I talk to people about music. And uh, this is my show. I've talked to tons and tons of people. You can scroll through. Uh, the last 100 episodes are always available on the streaming services. And if you want to really dig in and check out all 1,307 episodes, you can go to uh, howdidigethere.podbean.com and scroll through there. Great conversations with all kinds of people, all kinds of people. I, I'm not even going to start. So many, so many different artists, so many big artists, smaller artists. You might get turned on to some artists. But today, I do have a great show for you guys today. MC Taylor. From his Golden Messenger, he's my guest. As I told you, uh, Jump for Joy is the record. It came out on Friday. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, we have a really great conversation about making the record, about writing the record, because they recorded the record over at Sonic Ranch in Tornillo, Texas. Those of you that don't know, tons of people have recorded out there. Yeah, 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 uh, the Toadies. Uh, tons of Fastball just made their new album out there. Um, it's out in Tornillo, Texas, which is just east of, uh, it's like, I don't know, an hour east, 45 minutes east of, uh, of, of El Paso. And it's on, it's right on the border. It's on like a, a few thousand acres of a pecan ranch. You can ride horses, ride ATVs. They have people that make you breakfast. You live there. I have never recorded there, but I have hung out there. <laughs> what a lame Yeah, I just go there and hang out because I'm lame. Uh, but those of you that don't know much about His Golden Messenger, fantastic band started in, in the year 2007. And uh, put out their very first record in 2009. Their 2019 album, Terms of Surrender, was nominated for a Grammy for Best Americana Album. And uh, the albums have basically traced an internal path through adulthood, fatherhood, spirituality, and depression for over a decade of just MC Taylor's mind and life and heart and soul. The guy's an amazing songwriter. This is uh, all the songs on this record are absolutely gorgeous. They will be on tour in August. And then uh, September 27th through 30th, they'll be playing in Australia. Then they're going to be on tour of the U.S. in October through December, doing shows all over the place. And in fact, they'll be in Austin November 28th and 29th at Antones. Go to hisgoldenmessenger.com for all of your His Golden Messenger needs. Uh, gang, I had a really good weekend. I did. I, uh, on Friday, I played with Skyrocket out at, uh, at Sam's Burger Joint in San Antonio. Great show. Really good time. We played an all 70s show. It was interesting to see what songs people uh, just didn't connect with. We played The Streak, which to me is like such a, a stereotypical 70s song of that era of the 70s when people were streaking. And then this guy, Ray Stevens, made a novelty song about it called The Streak. If you've never heard it, go check it out. It's hilarious. And uh, we did it. And I could see a lot of people kind of like, what, what is this? Why are they, why is there a guy acting like a reporter and another guy going, oh, yes, I did. I was standing over by the tomatoes. And anyway, <laughs> it's a crazy fucking song, but uh, it was a great show. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I wish we could do more all 70 shows, but I guess that's it for the year. We did one here in Austin, one in Houston, now one in San Antonio. We do have an all 80s show next Friday. Skyrocket does next Friday, September 9th at, uh, at 310 ACL live. That's what we're playing. Sorry. That's what we're playing. We'll be at 310 ACL live next Friday, September 9th, doing an all 80s show, which is a whole different sort of mindset and everything. You can go to skyrockettheband.com to find out more about tickets for that. All right. Gang, I'm so excited to bring you this interview. I had such a great time talking to MC Taylor. We talked over zoom. I really got into his golden messenger. I knew, I knew their music from hearing it on the radio on Sun Radio and on KUTX here in Austin. 
and uh, just kind of peripherally, but digging into this music, like I was blown away at this guy's like body of work. It's gorgeous. Oh, you know, the other thing too is he started out in a band called The Court and Spark. That was his first band before his Golden Messenger. That was like 1998 to like 2001. They were super active. But there's a guy named Tom Heyman and he'll be my guest on Wednesday's episode. But, uh, but he played in the Court and Spark. And when I ask MC Taylor about him, it's, he says some really great things about him. But that's who we're talking about. Tom Heyman, he'll be on the show on Wednesday. So go out there and check it out. And I guess without further ado, I really enjoyed my conversation with MC Taylor. He was in Durham, North Carolina, which is where the band resides. You can find them at hisgoldenmessenger.com. Jump for Joy is their new record, came out on Friday. So without further ado, man, enjoy my conversation with this brilliant, awesome artist, MC Taylor. Let's get down. you to the to the uh, chat but it wouldn't let me for some reason for a second yeah zoom zoom problems <laughs> zoom problems it's gonna be the name of my memoir <laughs> it's a sad memoir. it's gonna be the name of the era that we're living through <laughs> how are you doing okay man? Uh, i'm good thanks how are you i'm doing good. a cup of coffee here yeah yeah, yeah. are you a morning guy yeah, I am. I yeah. mean, really, because I have I have a couple of kids, so um, so I, I'm not sure if it would be my default otherwise. But yeah, I'm up at six thirty every morning. Yeah, so I've, I've already been to the yeah, I've already been to the gym today. Nice, nice. Yeah. yeah, I'm an early riser too. I when I got the message from your publicist like at nine a.m. my time, I was like, oh, awesome! I have rehearsal at eleven. <laughs> yeah, works out great. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Um, cool. Where, where are you, where are you, where are we, where are you right now? I'm in Austin, Texas. Ah, that's a good town. Yeah. Awfully hot there right now. Awfully hot here right now. It sucks. That's <laughs> one of the reasons I've been getting up so early is taking my dog out. Cause there's really not a lot we can do later on in the day. Oh yeah. And you're, you're yeah. in Durham. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Durham, North Carolina where strangely the weather is actually quite beautiful right now and not oppressively hot i just came back from uh, uh, nashville last night even though it's only an hour plane flight for me uh my god was it oppressively hot and disgusting uh-huh. um so i'm feeling like in terms of places in the southern half of the united states durham is feeling okay right now all things considered well you're lucky um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, your record comes out tomorrow. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Yeah, dude, this album's so fucking much. great, man. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. And I was stoked when I was reading it that you did it down at Sonic Ranch. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I guess not so far from you as far as, you know, relatively speaking. Um, yeah. Sonic Ranch was, it was an incredible spot to work. And, uh, um, 
I, have you ever been there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Magical place, as you know. Um, yeah. hard, to de- hard to describe if you've never been there. But uh, there's something, something kind of mystical about the place. And um, I, feel like, I feel like the music that we were playing down there sort of absorbed a little bit of that, um, a little bit of that mystery or um, haunted atmosphere. So yeah, I loved working there. I would go back again anytime. Do they still have the ladies that make the breakfast and everything? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, they Good. sure do. Um Yeah, and um yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't really say enough enough good things about it. I, I really loved being there. Yeah, yeah, that guy Tony has always been a really uh, fun hang. That's because I've yeah. never actually recorded there. I went there once to look at it to record and became friends with Tony and then went there subsequently on my travels, like stopped by and hung out and had breakfast. And Yeah, yeah. Great dude, super enthusiastic, generous. Yeah. Uh, you know, all this, you know, he, he's pretty... Hands off. He might come come by around happy hour and check out what we were doing, but otherwise, we were just kind of there. You know, we were just kind of there on our own. I I brought like my own crew, so we uh, we were using one of the um, the house engineers who really could have engineered the whole record with with one hand tied behind his back, but he was our. Um, he was our assistant and also just kind of like our, yeah, he just kind of like coached us through the place. So we were, we were pretty, um, we were kind of on our own doing our own thing, except for mealtimes. It was, it was great. Yeah. Well, man, this record is, it's fucking great. And I have a couple things to say about it. One of them is whoever mixed it is a genius. It's so nice to hear like, your voice is is beautiful and it's so nice to not have it in a mix like shoved down your throat while you're listening to it. You know what I mean? There's a placement of your voice in the mix (laughs) where at first when you listen to it, you're like, oh shit, where's the vocal? And then you're like, oh, this is how Uh, normal fucking records sound. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Um, I mean, we, so we mixed that record here in Durham. Um, My, the guy that, plays guitar in his Chris Berner and um he's a he's a super accomplished recording engineer and producer himself and and mastering engineer he masters all the his stuff he's 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 mixed a lot of the his records as well and for this particular record i thought like the best way to do it would be to just like sit down together in his little mix space and and mix it together so we took like you know we took maybe 10 days or two weeks and kind of just like messed with things. And, um, that was a slightly, that was a slight return to, to some kind of form for me because many records ago I was like, so I was so bored by, by the process of mixing just because by the time we had finished overdubs and everything, I just felt like I'd been around the songs too much. I, I was I was losing interest and yeah. and having to like get get down to the granular level with them um, and mix them was just something that I was it didn't sound interesting to me. So I kind of like handed those responsibilities to other people over the years um, with varying degrees of success. Uh, but with this one, I felt like kind of 
uh, I don't know, rejuvenated enough that I was like, I'll, I'll like sit in the mix room and, and like go through, you know, get down to brass tacks on this. It was actually really fun. So, um, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, we like, we, we really paid attention to, um, what each, uh, you know, what, what each channel was trying to tell us. I knew what existed on every single, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I knew better than everybody what was, what better than anybody else, what was, what was in the, in the buried in the tracks. So, um, it was fun. Yeah. So the other thing outside of the incredible songwriting, cause you are, you're a fucking amazing songwriter. Um, no, <laughs> it is the feel of the record. Did you guys play live? Like, was there, is a lot of that stuff like yeah, off pretty, the floor? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it's, it's basically just us playing as a band. I mean, you know, I, um, sometimes we chase a song for a little while. I don't know that there's a song on the record that we used anything past like the fifth take maybe. Okay. Um, you know, I was just chasing a certain type of energy in, in the plane. So, um, and, and I really was trying to chase like the, like the drum picture, the drum energy, um, the way that the, the way that the drums were like existing in the air of the studio, that was like a big, that was a something that we spent a lot of time on as we were getting things set up in the studio. We had like multiple drum kits set up with different, with different miking methods so that if something was wanting a more urgent kind of explosive feel we would be on one drum kit if if we were wanting a drum picture with a little more nuance we would go to the other kit if that makes sense yeah totally uh, so you know one drum kit is like is is pretty like is the way i was thinking of it is like one of the kits is like very very sort of smashed sounding um sort of compressed and and kind of explosive and the other is a little more natural sounding. <laughs> yeah. But it feels great. Like the, the, the songs there, it's interesting because what you do musically is there's, there's a singer songwriter in Americana music and then almost kind of like an exploratory. Cause there's even like those little, uh, there's like little snippets of like, uh, music that are just like a few seconds long, you know, like under a minute long in between some of the songs, there's like a dreaminess that happens in those songs too. But, but underlying it all is like this groove from like a seventies R and B record or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like I've always been chasing a, a, a sense of, you know, a sense of groove, a certain type of swing, that's always been something that has existed on his golden messenger records yeah. from the very start. Um, and, and at this point I think we're just, I'm in an era of like refining that sense of rhythm, continuing 
to evolve my understanding about how rhythm works, but, but really, you know, um, I, I'm really like asking, I'm asking a lot of people that play drums and hiss probably, probably I'm, I'm, I'm putting a unique challenge before anyone that plays drums with hits, which is um, to play the same thing repetitively as long as they can <laughs> to keep it swinging, to keep it super deep in the pocket. Um, and, but then also to think of subtle ways of evolving that rhythm. So like really the, the quintessential hiss rhythm, as I think of it, although there are lots of other different types of grooves on our records, but the quintessential hiss rhythm is like a halftime kick and snare with a 16th note hi-hat. And it's either swung or straight. Yeah, yeah. That's really like when I'm auditioning a drummer, that's the very first thing I have them do. And I don't want them to... Um, I don't want them to play. I don't know if you're a drummer, but I don't want them to play open-handed, right? Yeah. So, yeah. like, if they're if they're a righty, they need to be playing the hi hat. They need to be playing cross stick, right? Right. Which is which is it would it would kind of be the normal way to play that groove anyway. Um, I have like auditioned some people that are absolutely amazing drummers. And they have like started to play it open. And I was like, you got to play it cross. You have to play it cross because it changes the feel. <laughs> um, you know, like it's just, that's, that's just like, that's how I've gone really deep with that groove because it's like, to me, it's sort of like the quintessential, quintessential American groove. And, um, but, but then it also shows up and, other places like it's it's really some version of that is is um foundational to like reggae music you know right, not right. not it doesn't it's not that's not the one drop but it's in in the way that it makes you feel it is it is like reggae music yeah um, which which is like a a really big part of my dna that sort of creeps into his records in in subtle ways so yeah, I love I love groove. I love thinking about rhythm rhythm sections. It's like my you know my sort of my happy place. And and when I have like when I'm in the presence of a great r rhythm section, which includes like a keyboard player, you know, I think of like a great rhythm section as um, I mean a rhythm section can be a whole band. And like sometimes I'm like I'm telling everybody like in this section of the song or when we play this song, we're all in the rhythm section. Yeah. So it's like me, Nick, the drummer, Al, the bass player, Sam Frybush, who plays keys and myself, we're all in the rhythm section together. So I don't really need anybody like stepping. I don't need anyone poking out too much. Like think of it as though we're one huge, like tambourine or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny that you talk about that rhythm. I want to be right on this, but is it is it Shinebone that has that that kick and snare pattern oh, with the sixteenth? What? 
shin bone, shin bone, shin bone. Sorry, shin bone, shin yeah. bone. Sorry, shin bone. Um, and the but the sixteenth is like on a, on an instrument and a shaker. Is that the right? Yeah, song? I mean, I, I mean, right I, I'm yeah, I'm. I'm definitely playing sixteenth notes on on the acoustic guitar. Yeah. Like my acoustic guitar is essentially the sixteenth note hi hat or what a tambourine would be doing. That's one in which um, Nick, the drummer, is is definitely playing a four on the floor groove, and so um, I know that the sixteenth note is certainly implied on that song. But but like the the core of that to me, when I think about the rhythm of that song, is is like the the um the, the bass drum the feel of the bass drum whether he's actually doing this throughout the entire song or not the feel of the bass drum drum is on all four right beats um and 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 that's actually um do you want to get into this kind of rhythm stuff sure man <laughs> i don't know i don't know how interesting this is um so whenever I'm like referencing a four on the floor groove, it's actually not, it's not an American drummer that I'm thinking of. And I'm, I'm always like showing this record to, um, to, to drummers that I play with and, and really to everybody. It's not super obscure or anything, but there's this, there's this German band called Noi. I don't know if you know this band. It was basically like two early members, very early members of Kraftwerk that okay. split off, split off to make their own band. And so they made their first record probably in 1972. It's just a guitar player and a drummer. The drummer's name is Klaus Singer. And his entire rhythm, the only thing he did really was he played this four on the floor, <laughs> this really propulsive four on the floor groove that is is really um i find it super compelling but you know when when i'm suggesting it to drummers and hiss it's kind of like going through my filter it right, ends up right. coming out it, it ends up coming out sounding more like like mick fleetwood <laughs> right right or something yeah you know what i mean yeah so like i think someone could hear shinbone and think like that feels like something mick fleetwood would play and like um, I I would agree with that, and I would also say like, but what I'm thinking about is is the Klaus Dinger beat from Noi Records. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're really getting into the weeds here, but no, it's so yeah. funny because as as creative people, when we're lifting something and it goes through the uh, through the filter of ourselves, you end up with something like "Please Please Me," where those guys thought they were singing a Roy Orbison tune. Which you can hear if you really yeah. listen to it, but it's them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so on on that note, do you when you write, do you use some kind of rhythm thing? Like I've I've always done it with like a drum machine, just to kind of get into a vibe of something. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the the genesis of most of my songs is usually me with just an acoustic guitar and my voice with nothing keeping time. But as the song starts to evolve, 
I usually will then introduce some kind of rhythmic element either to like to keep me in time and allow me to like introduce a sense of swing really early, early on in the process or to like get me out of a certain type of rhythmic default mode that I often go to if I'm not paying attention. Sure. And you know, if I'm, if I'm not careful then I might, write 10 songs and then look back at them and realize that rhythmically they're all the same. Right. They're right. like all in, they're all in the same tempo and stuff. So sometimes I, I will use a, uh, either a drum machine or I'll play drums myself or something like that. I'll, I'll do something really early in the writing process to actually like keep me on a certain rhythmic track. Sure. Um, so I don't, I don't usually start right away with, a drum, um, any kind of rhythm, but once the song starts to feel like it's a serious song that I'm going to finish, I usually will bring at the very least a metronome in to like, just allow me to like, to introduce some kind of swing against, right. against that, yeah. that time keep place. Um, I mean, there, there are, um, certainly exceptions in my ca- catalog of, songs like uh you know a song like um as the crow flies from maybe heart like a levy or even some stuff from one or two songs in terms of surrender like there are songs in somehow by with some weird loop that i had going or something like that yeah um and 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 i would write and i would write melodically to some kind of rhythm and introduce chords late later. Yeah. But that's sort of rare. That's sort of rare for me. Me too. I don't, I usually start with some kind of rhythm and chord structure that inspires some kind of, unless I'm out walking around and something hits me, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so uh, on the songwriting front, this record jump for joy is your most autobiographical record is what it said and it's it's uh it's is it because you you came up with some guy you were writing post postcards to uh, no, it, um, yeah no it um i think that i started to feel that it was the most autobiographical because um because i was inserting um sort of scenes, vignettes, like pictures from my life as a traveling musician over the past 30 years that are very specific. Yeah. Um, that I wasn't like, there, it feels like there's a lot of stuff on the record that I didn't sort of twist into any new, new form. Like, you know, um, the song Jesus is bored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there, there are a lot of there are a lot of pictures in that. There's a lot of there are a lot of lyrical pictures in that song that are just like right out of my my memory as I remember it, without too much, without really too much like poetic embellishment. So like pandering moon over Texas. 
I know exactly when, where, where we were when I, I, you know, I was 18 years old in Texas for the first time. And like that line, if you want to get up, get up. That's someone that, you know, we were playing in a punk band and crashing at someone's grandmother's house. And that's how she woke us up that morning. And we all thought it was so funny as 18, 19 year old kids. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's just, you know, in is just sort of like plainly said, um, sort of like lifted out of my brain. Um, and the Michael Crow character came about because I realized that while I was leaning pretty heavily on the autobiography, um, I needed a, I, I wanted a way to like, just sort of incorporate things that hadn't actually happened to me that had maybe happened to someone else or, uh, or hadn't happened at all. But I, I felt like I wanted to convey, say something that, you know, wasn't necessarily my own experience. The way that I did that is with, with this character of Michael Crow. That's brilliant. Um, so, I had a question, but I totally spaced it out as you were talking about the songs. Um, as far as like, I've talked to a few people about this sort of thing, about how uh, somehow punk rock births these amazing like singer-songwriter cats like uh, like John Doe, like, uh, yeah. like uh, uh, Frank Turner. You know that guy, the British dude? Yeah, uh-huh. Um, yeah. Guys like that, it's it's interesting. What do you think it is that it's it's almost like the same kind of thing, just the music matures? Yeah, I mean... Um, and you get a bigger vocabulary. <laughs> right. Yeah, I... would say that for myself, um, I think what I took away from that time in my life is this sort of do it yourself ethos and aesthetic that um, is situated so deeply in my DNA because I was engaged with punk rock and hardcore music at such an impressionable time in my life that, um, I can't really get away from it. And I think for, for the most part, it's served me incredibly well in terms of my creative process and, um, and, and continues to, and continues to like, to be a big part of the way that I think about music, you know? So, um, I think that, you know, his golden messenger has a presence, however big or small in music, not because I'm brilliant, but because I have like a stick, stick to it. Yeah. That, that isn't really never dependent on people outside of my own brain to help me, to help me like create this, universe that I was trying to make. Now, 
that's not to say that I haven't had tons of consistent collaborators all along the way. Like my buddy, Scott Hirsch, we played and he, he engineered jump for joy. We were playing in that punk rock band together. Like when I was, when I was like writing Jesus's board, all those images, I mean, this is an incredible thing, but like the images that appear in that song are, are shared memories between us. Like if you want to get up, get up. That grandmother was saying that to the two of us sleeping next to each other on the, on the floor. So, um, so that's not to say that I haven't had like collaborators that are super integral to my, my process and my music, but I've never ever been a person that thought, I know that I can make this work as soon as I have a booking agent sure. and a manager right. and like, I just need to get a record deal and I'm going to make this happen. Like what I learned in my punk rock days that I carried with me through so many years into his gold messengers. Like if you have a song, if you have a record that you've recorded and you think it's cool, then it is possible to take, that master to um, a pressing plant and have 200 records made. Yeah. And you can't, you can sell them out of the back of your car at a gig that you book for yourself. And, mm. and that's what I did. I mean, the first um, his golden messenger record that really got any traction was this re- this record called bad debt. And I recorded that on a cassette tape recorder. And then I, I pressed 200 copies on vinyl uh, myself, sold them all, pressed, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's it, the punk and, rocks and And there ethos. was never, yeah, yeah, there was never anything in me, there was never any part of me that said doing it this way is less than. Sure. Like, I, 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 like, I always have thought that that way of doing it is super righteous. Yeah. And like, I'm still, I'm still trying to convince like young songwriters that I know that are like, I have this record done. I don't know. I don't know what I should do with it. I just need to find a label. I'm like, fuck that. Just like press it yourself. Yeah. You could easily, you could easily sell 200 copies of your record. Um, so that's just like to go back to your question for me, in terms of what is it that has, uh, you know, what is it that sort of perpetuates maybe songwriters or whatever coming out of punk rock? For me, that's that's what it is. I couldn't speak for anyone else. But. Right. Well, I can kind of see that same line between you and those two guys I mentioned, plus a guy like, like Alejandro Escovedo. I don't know if you know him. I know that's Alejandro him. well, man. Yeah. Love him. That's another guy that came from uh, that world and and went on. Yeah, to totally. Uh, I mean, they're they're you know those people are all over the place. Like, um, and for me, it's really cool to meet people that come from that universe because it's a shared language that yeah. is so specific, um, and it's. I don't know. It's like very joyful to meet people from that, from that time in my life. 
Yeah, there's that part of the thing that well, when you're young and traveling around and sleeping on floors and shit, when you meet like the best people that you've ever met, people you stay up all night doing drugs with or whatever the fuck you do. You know what I mean? Totally. I mean, it's yeah. just, you know, people that were people that were like that were that felt felt like lifers. Yeah. It's just. Uh, yeah. I love I love like I love people that are dedicated to the cause. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> And the older you get, the more it means something to you. You know what I mean? I mean, I was just telling someone the other day, like when I don't know what, I can't even remember what the conversation about, but I was like, you know what I'm really attracted to at this point in time, like in terms of my life, how old I am. And as a creative person, I love a fucking lifer, man. Like, yeah. I don't even know if I necessarily care how good or not good that person's art is in relation to the rest right, of their right. body body of work. Yeah. I'm just like right now I'm rooting for the people that that just keep doing it because it's hard. Yeah. It is hard. It's hard. And like I can't blame I, I cannot blame anybody for being like, you know what? I'm I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta I got to take a break. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I know there are a million reasons why, why that would be. Um, so, but at the same time, I'm like, yo, anyone that just keeps doing it is that they're all right in my book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you were talking about collaborators a minute ago and I wanted to say that going through your stuff and like going through a bunch of YouTube videos and watching like uh, solo and duo performances, I came across this guy, Phil Cook. Yeah. Watching your stuff. And now I'm following him. That guy's that guy's brilliant. Yeah, he's very good. There's a video you he's guys very- I think it's a, at at the Luck Reunion doing like in a in a house or something with the with the blind boys of Alabama. Oh, yeah. It's fucking yeah. brilliant performance on on yeah. both of your parts. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was special. That that was a special thing to get to do. Yeah. For sure. I haven't I haven't talked to Phil in a super long time, like years. Um, uh, so I'm not exactly sure what he's up to, but special, special musician for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, so you're about to head out on tour and you're going, you're going to Australia for a few days. Is this your first trip there or have you been there before? Yeah. No, I've never been there. Wow. You excited? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, it, it should be a ton of fun. But and then when we come back from that trip, then we have you know ten days or whatever to catch our breath, and then and then we actually start like really, you know. I mean, that Australia trip almost feels like a little bit of a lark, just because it's only four shows. The right. travel is travel is super intense, but it really is four gigs, and then we come home. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> And then we, about mid-October, we start touring that will keep us um, out on the road, not consistently, but, you know, with breaks here and there, keep us out on the road until the end of the year. Yeah. And then, like, we're we're working on our 2024 now. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll keep going. We have, we, we're going to have this new record out, and um, now now is the, is the time, really, to, to do it. And I think... Um, 2022 was extremely busy for us as a band. 
we have kind of laid low in 23, although I did a bunch of solo touring. So I think everyone is kind of like itching to go, including me, which is, has not always been my case. There's sometimes when I'm like, see de- the departure day kind of uh, creeping <laughs> up on me, creeping up on me like, oh man. But like, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited because I want to like, I really can't wait to play all these new songs. Like, yeah. um, one, one of the things about these songs, like one of the things that we kept talking about as a band and I kept thinking about as I was composing the tunes is like, um, I want to make a record in which we could potentially play all of these songs like in, in a performance there. I don't want to write a record where there are like some of the songs are unplayable for one reason or another. And there, there are songs in my catalog that just won't ever get played live because you know, we don't have the instrumentation on stage or, you know, for one reason or another, it seems like they're never going to end up on a set list. But, you know, with this record, I was like, I'm going to try and write an entire album in which any of the songs might get played on any given night. And, and I, I mean, it remains to be seen because we haven't, we're not, we're not out on the road yet, but, but I think that like when I start to think about set lists, the way I think about the songs is like, yeah, I could see like, I could see that song going there or, you know, so we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a fun, it's, I mean, it's a fun record. I think so too. Yeah. It was super fun to make. It has a great vibe to it. It has a lot of uh, energy. Also, I uh, want to let people know they're listening uh, in Austin. You guys will be here on November 28th and 29th at Antones. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's a great place. Great spot, and um, super excited to be back there. Yeah. Um, another thing, one more thing I wanted to ask you about songwriting. Are you like a daily get-up-and-write person, or are you... Um, no, not really. Um, I am a daily be-around-music person. Okay. Um, so I don't know if that's like an actual substitute, but I am like a really omnivorous, um, music, musical listener. So even if I'm not making my own music, I'm around music all day long, every day of my life. Um, so I'm certainly like thinking about music. There will be some times when something, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm real, I'm real hyped to be working on something new. Like I'm, I'm kind of sort of in that zone right now, or maybe like knocking on the door of that. Um, then there'll be other times when like, you know, I won't pick up a guitar for weeks. Right. And it's not because like, I, I don't like the guitar. It's just like the guitar is not calling my name the way it does at other times. Right. Um, but I am around music all day long, just, and you know, it might be like me, me listening to some type of music or some particular record over and over again. Um, and 
you know, I'm always listening to music that exists outside of what people would think of as, as you know, yeah. the genre that his golden messenger exists in. I mean, I almost never listen to song to songwriter music just because I've spent so much time around that type of music in my life that I feel like I might be experiencing a little bit of diminishing returns with it. Like sure. I yeah, often yeah, yeah. feel like I've heard this before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so consequently, like what I'm listening to is just, it can be like outside of, outside of that, that universe. And I, and I think that like, that speaks to, you know, the way that his gold messenger is kind of positioned in the world of Americana there. It, Sometimes his golden messenger feels very confusing for people in the world of Americana. Like they can see that they can see that it's like music built on, on songs and they can see that like a lot of attention is paid to the lyrics, but there's something else about it that almost makes it like too complicated (laughs) for them to sure. For, for, for them to wrap their heads around. And that is, that is in a lot of ways intentional. That's a choice that I've made and, um, you know, have, have been okay with living with the consequences of that choice, which is, it's just harder. Hiss is, is a little bit harder, not a lot, but a little harder to digest and, you know, other yeah. other people that exist in the Americana world. I get that. There's radio stations here that play you guys, but I think it's because the 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 audience here is welcoming of weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. They're okay with it in their country. They're okay with it in their Americana. They're all right with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those are my kind of people. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. Well, dude, this has been great talking to you and uh, and getting like just such a great education on your music over the last week. Uh, oh, there was something I wanted to tell you. There was a guy that I talked to, uh, Tom Heyman, who played in the Court and Spark. Tom Heyman is a dear old friend. I mean, you want to like talk about true musical teachers. He's one of my biggest musical teachers in my life. I would always like... I would always credit him as introducing me to so much stuff that is so foundational in my understanding about music and records and what is like good. And you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Cause Tom, Tom is, Tom is, uh, he is, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 12 years older than me, which, when I was in my early twenties, he is—he seemed impossibly old. Right, right. Now that I'm in my now that I'm in my mid forties, it's like we're almost the same age. But you know, like he was—I remember so vividly, so many times that I would be so hyped about something in my like early twenties, and Tom would be like, "Oh, dude." Dude, you gotta check you gotta you gotta check this out if you think that that's good you gotta check this out you know like 
I remember like the first time, this was probably like the second or third wave that like Graham Parsons was being sort of lifted up. And I remember Tom just rolling his eyes being like, oh my God. I mean, yeah, Graham Parsons is cool, but like there are other people from that time that like right, right. kick his ass in terms right. of just like great songwriting. And, you know, Tom was like, you always buy a record with, uh, anytime you see Reggie Young, you know who Reggie Young, the guitar player is? Yeah, yeah. He's like a, he's like a studio, studio guy, really. Yeah. He's like, anytime you see Reggie Young in the liner notes, you buy that record. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that is, that is actually a rule that I have lived by and it's always, it's always been right. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Tom is, Tom is in my in my mind. Tom Heyman is is a legend. Yeah, and a lifer. Oh my God, a lifer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, dude, this has been great talking to you. This record, Jump for Joy, is fantastic. It'll be out by the time this comes out next week. So everyone, get out there and listen to it. Uh, you'll be on tour in Australia. Uh, you'll be on tour around the United States October through December. You'll be in Austin on November twenty eighth and 29th at Antones, our beloved Antones. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, dude, the record's out on vinyl as well. So people yep. can get that. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great talking to well, you. Well, thank man. you so much. Yeah, man. Yeah, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for yours and thank you for the music, man. You're really fucking amazing. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. I appreciate that. Stay cool there. You too, buddy. Okay. Bye. Bye. That was MC Taylor from His Golden Messenger, their new album, Jump for Joy, available now wherever you stream and download music. Go to hisgoldenmessenger.com to see if they're coming on tour to a city near you when they're on tour uh, October through December. They'll be at, in, at Antone's in Austin on November 28th and 29th. All right, go to hisgoldenmessenger.com. I want to thank MC for talking to me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Brilliant, brilliant fucking band. I'm really glad I got into them. I hope you're enjoying this song. It's called Shinbone. It's the one I called Shinebone on there. How embarrassing is that? <laughs> hey, gang, don't forget when you're out there checking out hisgoldenmessenger.com, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever it is you find podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, not Stitcher. Stitcher is going away at the end of this month. They'll be gone. By the end of this week, they'll be gone. So subscribe. New shows every Tuesday and every Thursday, or of course, like a week like this week, we're doing three shows, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, Wednesday's show, we have the great Tom Heyman, who played with uh, MC Taylor in the band The Court and Spark. Look for that. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you guys have a great week, whatever it is you're doing. Enjoy the rest of this song, Shinbone, from the gorgeous album Jump for Joy by His Golden Messenger. Available now. Let's get down.
It's the rapture you're afraid of Sage and eucalyptus Smells like home Popping fences on the shin bone Over dawn They can take it off I know better 